And if you would like to turn with me to the first book of Samuel. Now it's written on there, uh, 1 Samuel 5, and we'll be looking at that. We'll be thinking of uh, the Ark of the Covenant and uh, the false god Dagon. That's uh, going to be our focus this morning. But I just want to bring you back into chapter 4, just to give that event some context of what was going on at the time. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant was in the land of Israel. I'm just going to read uh, from 1 Samuel 4, the first 10 verses. 1 Samuel chapter 4. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel and when they joined battle Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us! For such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us! Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter. And there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. 
And I'll just read verse 11 as well. Also the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. You'd like to turn with me back again to 1 Samuel chapter 5. We'll read the whole chapter. But I'll just start in at verse 18 of chapter 4. And then I'll read into chapter 5. So the Israelites have suffered defeat at the hands of the Philistines. Uh, the, the ark has been captured. And then in verse 18 we read, Then it happened when, the, when he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat, backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken and he, and he died. For the man was old and, old and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the, w- the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has, had been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought from, from and brought from brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon, and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon, fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon, fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, the head of Dagon, And both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. (coughs) Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore the priests of Dagon, nor any who came into Dagon's house, tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, And he ravaged them and struck them with tumours, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us, and Dagon our God. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines, And said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. 
So they carried the ark of the, of the God of Israel away. So it was after they had carried it away that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumours broke out on them. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. So it was as the ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought the ark of God, of the, of the God of Israel, to us to kill us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction through all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were stricken with the tumours. And the cry of the city went up to heaven. I'd like to turn with me back to 1 Samuel chapter 5. Now, the gospel, the message of the gospel is good news. It tells us how men and women can be reconciled to God. However, it's bad news to those who reject it when we proclaim the message this message is often as is described in 2nd Corinthians chapter 2 to the one we are an aroma that brings death to the other an aroma that brings life now the Bible is not uh, a self help book there are plenty of those that you can buy on Amazon uh, books that claim to improve your life the Bible does not put a forward a lifestyle that you adopt no it gives a very clear choice between two paths the Lord Jesus that said Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So there are two paths that we can follow. We can't sit on the fence we are either on the broad way or on the narrow way we are either with Christ or against him and the Bible is a book of contrast between good and evil light and darkness Christ Jesus and the devil and the world wants, to, wants peace, doesn't it? It wants unity. But the message of the Bible does divide. Jesus said that. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword of, a sword of division. 
divides mankind into two groups. Those who follow him, who trust him as their saviour, and those who do not. We are either in Christ or not. We either have Adam as our federal head or Christ. We are either a new creation in him through faith, or we are still in our sins. And in this chapter, I'd say that we have another great contrast between God and all that is false. The Ark of the Covenant, it represented the presence of the true God. The God who made the heavens and the earth. In contrast to the false god Dagon. And here Dagon represents all that is false. All that is a lie. Every lie that has ever been told. And my aim this morning is really to encourage us. Encourage you. That God has the victory. And we'll set the scene in, a, in, a, in just a moment. But the takeaway message that I want to uh, bring to you this morning is this. In the midst of failure, God shows his strength. All will ultimately bow to him, our Heavenly Father. And... Just before this account of the ark in uh, uh, being taken away to by the Philistines and placed beside the god Dagon, we read of a great failure, a great defeat of the people of Israel. And this chapter here is is to say to us that even in this place of failure which eventually is called Ebenezer. Even there, God is still God. And he will be gracious. And he will bring his people back to him. And that place, Ebenezer, that great, that place of failure, we now know as a place of great blessing. A whole, it's given a whole new meaning, as we'll see a little later on. So let's first set the scene. We read from 1 Samuel chapter 4. And there we see the, uh, the people of Israel lined up against the Philistines. At a place which was to be called... Ebenezer, the nation of Israel, the people led by God, a chosen people. God said of them, you were, that he chose them not because they were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all people, but because the Lord loves you. That's why he chose those people. 
He loved them. They knew the grace of God. Grace which is the undeserved favour of God. On the other side, we have the Philistines. They served their own gods. They didn't serve the God of Israel. And what happens? As we read, Israel is defeated. But what's going on? And I'm sure the people were questioning themselves. And they say, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? And we might be thinking the same thing. I'm on God's side. You might be thinking that. Why? Why aren't our lives ones of continual victory? Well, what mistake did they make? Well, we see and get a clue of that in verse 3, chapter 4. They said to themselves, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. That when it comes among us, it may save us from the land, from the hand of our enemies. Now, can you see what they've done wrong? I hope you do. Here, they were just, they were putting their trust in the fact that they had the Ark of the Covenant. And let me just remind you what that Ark was. The Ark of the Covenant, it was a wooden chest covered with gold. And God instructed Moses to build this Ark. And it says that he commanded Moses that he would make it two and a half cubits shall be its length. A cubit cubit and a half its width and a cubit and a half its height. So what's that in uh, modern, what's that for us? (laughs) It's about maybe a a metre and a half in that length. About maybe just less than a metre high and just less than a metre in width. A wooden chest. And it had a lid on the top, which was called the mercy seat. And we read that there was to be one cherub at one end, and the other cherub at the other end. And you shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it, of one piece, with the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. Inside the ark they put the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. And that's where on, on the lid, the mercy seat, above that, above the box, between the cherubim, that was where God met with the people. We read in Exodus 25, verse 22. And there I will meet with you. 
And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. From between the cherubim. So this ark was a very important thing. To the people of Israel. But here they were putting their trust. Not in the God, not in the God who appeared above the ark. But in the ark itself. That's where they went wrong. They were no longer trusting in God. But they were trusting in a wooden box. They said that it would save them. Now, it's very easy, isn't it? To fall into idolatry. It's very easy. But that's the mistake that the, the people had made. And that led to their defeat. Now, no one currently knows where the Ark of the Covenant is. Uh, maybe if you'd watched Indiana Jones, <laughs> you found it in a desert somewhere. But imagine if it was found. I'm sure the same thing would happen. It would be an object of worship and idolatry. That ark, it was important, but it pointed to something greater. Pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. As so many of the things of the Old Testament did. So, I'm quite glad that they haven't found the Ark of the Covenant. It would just become an object of idolatry. People trusting in a wooden box instead of the God of God Himself. That was their mistake, and I hope we don't make that same mistake. Israel was defeated, and the Ark of God was captured. And what follows in, that, in the latter part of chapter 4 is a great low point in the life of Israel. Their spiritual life was in a mess. They didn't trust in God anymore. Now the ark was gone. It was as if all was, all was lost. It looks like all the enemies of Israel have won. And at the end of chapter 4 we have one woe after another. Eli the priest. His sons have died. And then Eli himself suffers this freak accident. He's old. He's judged Israel for 40 years. His sons are both dead. Who would carry on the work as, the, as priests in the land? We have no ark. No symbol of the presence of God. And then his daughter-in-law. Before she dies, she gives birth to a child. And names him Ichabod. 
The glory has departed. And so we're at a very low point. But what happens? There's always a but, isn't there, with the Bible? There's a but. We have chapter 5. And this is a, a great encouragement to us. Israel fails. We fail. But God is still God. He's still powerful. He's still strong. He still shows his power and mercy. He's still at work. Well, let's see what happens. The Philistines, they take the ark of God and they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Read that in verse 2 of chapter 5. Now to them, the God of Israelite, the God of the Israelites was was a defeated God. And so they just put the, the ark alongside all the other gods that they worshipped. But their main god was Dagon. Now you can imagine maybe, I mean we have some countries in the world, and I'm thinking particularly in the Far East, where they uh, worship Buddhism. And I'm sure you've all seen uh, those golden images of the Buddha in those temples. Well, this was something very similar. And Dagon was half man, half fish. Now, I'm sure you know what a mermaid is. You know, it's like a, a female, a, a woman with a sort of a fish-like body. Well, this is similar. It was like a merman, you could call it. The fish god, Dagon. And the ark of God is put beside this image, this statue, this false god. Now we're told in Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Just the mere fact that this, the ark of God was placed alongside a false god. In the morning the people of a arose. They arose early in the morning. And there was Dagon, fallen on its face. To the earth before the ark of the Lord. Now you'd think that was enough to tell them. The truth of the God of the Israelites is the true God. But no. What do we see them doing? They set it in its place again. You see, they have to... Repair it themselves. We never have to do that. Our Father in Heaven is very capable of defending His own glory. He doesn't need us at all. False gods, they need propping up. And as you look around the world, you see them being propped up. By man. But God is not like that. 
He is all-powerful. After another night, we read there, when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon, fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. This time, the head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. The Philistines worshipped a false god that had no power. No power to withstand the true God. And what do we learn from this? Well, there is a God in heaven to whom we are all accountable. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is all-present. Well, you may say to me, well, no one worships Dagon anymore. Isn't that something that... uh, People did in history. We don't, we, don't do, we don't do that anymore. We haven't done that for many, many years. Thousands of years. No one worships Dagon. And that's true. But don't, haven't we set up a lot of false gods for ourselves to worship? <coughs> maybe our career. Maybe a particular person. We may even follow a religion and worship the God of that religion. And here in this passage, Dagon represents all that is false. God will have victory over all falsehood. And really, the Bible tells us there's only tells us that there is really only two views. Two worldviews that we can have and that are in operation in the world. Yes, there are hundreds of religions in the world. But only one is true. And all others are false. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father Except through me. And as Christians we say. That all religions that do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as our saviour. That do not. That deny his coming in the flesh. As a man are false. Now that's a very politically incorrect thing to say. These days. How can you say that? People might say. Don't all religions lead to God? Don't they all have something valuable to say? Is there truth in each one? Well, we can repeat again. There is only one way. All religions don't lead to God. There is only One that leads us to God. And that is only through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4 verse 12 it says. Nor is there salvation in any other. 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Bible tells us how we can test or discern truth from lies. How do we know what's true? Well, it tells us how we can know. The Apostle John, in his first letter, he tells us how, he gives us a a test that we can use. And he says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Here's the test. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now already is in the world. And that's true, isn't it? That spirit is already in the world. There is falsehood. There are those who deny that Jesus has come in the flesh. It can be found in all the religions of the world. Except one, and that's biblical Christianity. And you may still object and say, well, all of these religions are different, aren't they? Well, they do have their differences, but they are all united in this one thing. They deny that Jesus has come in the flesh, that he came as our saviour. That's where they all have the same thing in common. That's where they all fail. The Apostle John's test. This event here, written here, of Dagon and the Ark, shows us very clearly that truth will prevail. And that truth became very uncomfortable for the Philistines, as we, as we see in the second half of chapter 5. They had the Ark. Yes, it was... A great victory for them. But they got more than they bargained for. Look at verse 6 in chapter 5. It says the hand of the Lord was, was heavy, heavy on the people of Ashdod. You see, if we set ourselves against God, there is only one outcome. Just as God toppled Dagon, he will topple them. Paul wrote, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Here the Philistines, they had sown rebellion. And idolatry. And God will deal with it. He dealt with the pride of the Philistines. 
Here they were, proud that they had supposedly defeated the God of Israel. But God warns us that such pride comes before a fall. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, the Bible says. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. The Philistines gloried in their in their in their uh, supposed victory. They thought they had defeated the God of Israel, but God dealt with them. In verse six, we're told he ravaged them and struck them with tumours. So much so that they they want to now they want to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. They send it away to another place nearby. They send it to Gath, we're told. But the same happened there. The Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. He struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumours broke out on them. And there's nothing worse than having God against us. We cannot stand against him. About a hundred, I think it's about over a hundred years now. Said over a hundred years that Jonathan Edwards he wrote a book, "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." God's dealings with us can be heavy, but in that heaviness, there is always, always, an opportunity for repentance and mercy. The worst thing that God can do is just to leave us as we are. To just give us over to our sins. Where he doesn't bother with us at all. But leaves us in a state, the state we're in. But in his mercy he afflicts the Philistines to make them think about their situation before him. His hand was heavy on them. So that they would cry out to God. What about you? Is the hand of the Lord heavy on you? Maybe you refuse to turn to him. The Philistines, they refused to turn to him. And they wanted nothing to do with the ark. And the ark eventually came to Ekron. We went to Gath and now we went to another place called Ekron. And the same happened there. Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. This ark and what it represented it represented the presence of God it could have brought much blessing 
repentance, turning back to God. But for them, it only brought this judgment and destruction. What about our situation? What about you this morning? If we're Christians here this morning, if we're godly men or or women, we're told, aren't we, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have kept your word. Often the hand of the Lord is heavy upon upon us. But does that not drive us to cry out to God and Ask him for for his help. That is what affliction should do. But the Philistines did not learn that lesson. I hope we learn the lesson from this this morning. That we won't be like them. Isn't it amazing? The ark was an object of blessing. To those who put their trust in God. But it was a terror. To those who don't. And this is what sin does in our life. Sins that we commit. God offers mercy and forgiveness. But we don't want it. We would rather stay in our sins and our darkness. Because we love it. We'd rather the ark was pushed away. We'd rather God was pushed away far from us. But God shows us his mercy. He wants to help us. Remember how Jesus said of Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who who are sent to her, How often I wanted to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Just like the Philistines. None of us can ever accuse God of rejecting us. He's always ready. Always willing to accept us. Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. You'll never be able to say, well, the Lord rejected me. No, that will never be the case. This ark, it speaks, as I've said already, of Jesus Christ. It contained those ten commandments. Which teach us that we all fail. We all break the law of God. We all come under the judgment of God. And his law speaks of the mercy seat. Which looks ahead to Christ. Only by faith in him can our sins be washed away. That mercy seat which speaks of God's grace and kindness. That mercy seat which is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore come boldly 
to the throne of grace. That's referring directly to the Ark of the Covenant. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And as we come to the close, what happens in the end? In the end, the Philistines, they, they want to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. So they put it on a cart, they get two cows to pull the cart. And we read the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh. And went along the highway, lowing as they went. I did not turn aside to the right hand or the left. The ark was carried back to Israel. And the people rejoice. And we read in, we haven't read it, but if we were to read into chapter 6 and 7, we see how the people rejoice when the ark of the covenant returned. And in chapter 6, verse 20, they say, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And that's what they learned from all that had happened uh, to the ark amongst the Philistines and Dagon. Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? Well, I would put it to you that no one can stand before this holy Lord God. No one. So it's better if we submit to him. You know, if we do that, it'll bring much joy and blessing. Sometimes we might think, oh, if I submit to God, that'll just mean my life's come to an end the very opposite the very opposite if we give him our lives oh he he gives back to us so much more in him is life and happiness and this is what the people of Israel did in chapter 7 and we won't go much further in chapter 7, we see Samuel. And he explains to the people the importance of repentance. And he says at the beginning of chapter 7, and verse 3, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you. And prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. And that's really what they should have done all along. But they didn't, did they? It wasn't too long before the Philistines would attack again. But this time, because they had returned to the Lord, they received God's help. And in 1 Samuel 7, we see the difference 
Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shem and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. This was the very place where they had failed, where they failed to trust God. They put their trust in a box. But now they were trusting in the Lord. And that place became, was named Ebenezer. Thus far the Lord has helped us. That's what it means, Ebenezer. And it's a wonderful word, isn't it? Ebenezer. Maybe the reason we don't use it so much is because it has such an association with Charles Dickens and Mr. Scrooge. But even he, that character, turned from his ways, didn't he? Ebenezer, what a wonderful word. The Lord has helped us. And we might think at the present time that we are in a state of failure. We might be in a pit at a low point in our lives, in our spiritual lives. We might think we're in a place of despair and failure. But learn from this chapter. Call on the Lord, return to him. And that place where you are can be turned into an Ebenezer. A place where the Lord helps you. God helped Israel. He can help you.